You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the second podcast and what we've already had some major changes. And instead of calling it uh, Game Changers Weekly, we're going to change it to Q Friday to more closely align with uh, the other great uh, continuing education uh, online materials that CE Impact has. So this will be part of that as well. So again, um, still the same uh, proposed setup where weekly we're going to be discussing uh, something of interest uh, to pharmacists and and hopefully as many practice areas as possible and uh, whether that's a new uh, drug, a new uh, guideline, a new study, something from the FDA, something along those lines that I hope impacts a lot of people. So again, you know, we uh, very similar to the things we do in, in the Game Changers talk at at, 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 C, at uh, uh, IPA Expo, um, but um, but just kind of much more focused and, and things along those lines. So again, my name is Jeff Wall. Welcome. Um, hope you're uh, sticking around for uh, for more of these and and get and we'll be getting some CE for them um, because I think we've all got significant COVID fatigue, uh, God knows I do, uh, I thought maybe this would be a good uh, chance to, to talk about, uh, do two things. One, not talk about COVID at all, wholeheartedly today, and uh, two, not hear me talk uh, as much uh, today either. So um, I'm very uh, honored and, and grateful to have my colleague from Drake, Dr. Jamie Pitlick, uh, who's uh, uh, kind of our, our, our guest uh, host or guest uh, uh, star today. And uh, um, the, the subject we're going to talk about today is, is still a pr- pretty big importance even with everything else going on in the world and that's the use of the SGL2 drugs for the treatment of not diabetes because <clears throat> I think we're we're all well aware of, of the benefit in this but but for the treatment of heart failure and in fact as many of you probably saw just last week uh, the FDA actually gave the go ahead for I think it was the pagaflozin uh, for um, to get the 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 benefit or uh, for to be FDA approved just in heart failure so you actually didn't have to have diabetes to be prescribed an SDL2 drug um, for heart failure so that's that's obviously huge and that's that's um, you know a, a pretty big shift with those drugs uh, that they're going to be used outside of the realm of diabetes. Now, uh, the kind of big questions then are, I think, for the pharmacists listening or, you know, one, you know, why would that be? Why would these drugs do that? What can we expect to see? And what side effects and other issues do we have to have to deal with? So, again, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have Dr. Pitlick with me, and, uh, and um, she'll be able to answer a lot of these questions. Dr. Pitlick is an associate professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University, and her practice site is actually the big endocrinology uh, group IDIC uh, here in in Des Moines. In fact, that's pretty much the only inter- endocrinology game in town, actually. So, uh, uh, so uh, welcome, Jamie, and th- thanks for joining us here on Q Friday. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. I was really excited about this topic. Oh, good. Um, good, good as I was talking about it with my husband, who's also a pharmacist, I said I could probably talk about this topic for an hour, and you're limiting me to 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and even and even worse is as as you and Matt are former students of mine, you know, how hard it is for me to shut up. So that's that that that's yeah. gonna be the, the biggest Herculean task here is gonna be for me to kind of keep quiet. So and so I know I appreciate you appreciate coming on, appreciate your expertise. So you know, first up, I think a question a lot of, of pharmacists and you know in the in you know with their boots on the ground are gonna ask is well, okay, hold on a second here. I you know, I yes, I know about these drugs and yes, I know they cause you to pee out more more sugar and that causes your blood sugars to go down and stuff like that. How would these drugs work in heart failure? Yeah, 
and it it goes along the line of how their mechanism of action is um, in terms of making you pee out more sugar. So when that happens, you have a diuretic effect as well because they actually cause increased urination, especially right after you take it. So you'll have a diuretic effect, but also the SGLT2 um, transporters, they're not only uh, transporting glucose, they also are responsible in some cases for sodium reabsorption as well. So by blocking the SGLT2s in the proximal tubules, you are blocking some sodium reabsorption. So you get naturesis as well. So you're getting a diuretic and a naturesis process, which is what they're thinking is helping the heart failure outcomes in many of these patients. Interesting. So, so you know, the it, I had heard. Obviously, I think most people knew knew about the former, but but not that 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 also sodium reabsorption is blocked. So, I mean, if so, then if these are almost kind of like like you know diuretics plus you know I mean diuretic. You yeah. know, you've got you've got diuresis as well as naturesis. You know, which is I mean certainly the loop diuretics do that too. But 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 this sounds like a, a potent addition to that. So yeah. um so as as I just mentioned, you know, again there these kind of signals with diabetes studies, you know, I know Empereg and a couple of the other studies have looked at, at, oh, hey, you know, we did this study in patients with type 2 diabetes and the percentage of them who happen to also have high uh, heart failure, they seem to do pretty good with their heart failure too. So this is, I, I think, some serendipitous stuff going on. And then they came to this. So, so what evidence currently exists for a benefit in these drugs and heart failure? Yeah. And so we actually have a uh quite a bit of evidence um, and they all go back to the cardiovascular outcome trials. So you mentioned Empereg, you also have Canvas and that's the Canagliflozin and then Declare Timmy. Declare Timmy is the one with DAPA um, and it actually chose heart failure as a co-primary outcome mm. along with CV death and other um, composite outcomes. And they were very smart in doing that because they were the last CV trial and they had already seen some of the triggers of the Canva and the Empereg trial showing this heart failure benefit. And so although it was a, a healthier population um, in terms of not everyone had to have heart disease, they just had to have high risk for heart disease or heart disease in declared Timmy. Um, but because of that and because they chose that um, heart failure as a co-primary outcome, they were able to show some very good evidence. But even Canvas um, and Empereg had heart failure hospitalizations as one of their composite outcomes that they looked at. And so it, there's some pretty good evidence showing that all three of these drugs in the class um, have good heart failure reduction, at least heart failure hospitalization reductions. Um, I'm not talking about the fourth drug in the class um, because its cardiovascular trial has not been released yet. It's currently in process. Okay. So in, in these outcomes, it sounds like, it, you know, kind of like the old DIG study back in the early 2000s that it, that it seemed to improve symptoms and improve and decrease uh, hospitalization rates. Was it, in your reading, did you see anything about mortality or anything along those lines, or is there any mortality benefit for being on these medications? 
um, mortality benefit is mostly the um, all-cause mortality or CV death, okay. um, and that's in the main. So it's lumped together, okay. but it is beneficial. Right. So, so it, it, we, we, we may not have strong data suggesting like similar to the ACEs or beta blockers that, that, that these drugs, right. you know, have, have an innate ability to, to decrease mortality, but uh, certainly they, because they improve cardiovascular health, um, you know, that, that, that plays a role too. So, okay, excellent. Um, going a little bit off script here, you, you know, as your, your expertise is certainly with these drugs. And, and I know that, that one of the, the benefits of these medications is for, you know, is that many patients, Patients at least lose some weight with 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 them when, when they start mm-hmm. them. Uh, you know, in your your opinion, I mean, and again, and if you have data, please please speak up. You know, do you yeah. think do you think that has a role here too? Do you think do you think just losing is is losing even five six ten pounds is that going to help with the overall? Do you think that explains at least some of the cardiovascular benefit of these medications in general? Um. I don't have any data to back it up, but I do think that weight loss in general will help. Um, and this is going off of other studies where if you get 5 to 10% off of your weight, you start to get off of medicines right? Um, and start to have more mortality benefits just on that. So with these medications, um, yes, they cause weight loss. It's around five pounds over the course of six months. Um, So it's it's not as potent of a weight loss drug as some of the other diabetes drugs in my uh, wheelhouse that I deal with, but they are very good options, especially when I'm comparing them to a medicine that's going to cause weight gain. Uh, So I, I like these because of that weight loss benefit and it could be helping out. Um, One thing I love to tell patients, um, and this is specifically with canagliflozin, they estimate at that highest milligram dose, the 300, you're losing between 200 to 300 calories a day in your urine because of how much glucose is going out in your urine. Um, and so that's, that's beneficial. I like to tell patients that, but I like to also tell them that doesn't mean that you get to eat 200 to 300 more calories. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, I I got to admit, you know, uh, kind of confession time here, Jamie. You know, you, I get done working out, and, yeah. you know, you, you you come back from working out and you think to yourself, okay, I just burned off, you know, three, four, five hundred calories. I can have that cookie now. You know, I mean, it's okay. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't even make up the 500 calories. Yeah, that's probably not, not probably not the best way for me to approach that. Absolutely. <laughs> So, so as I said, um, on May 6th, uh, the FDA approved dapagliflozin to treat heart failure, uh, by, again, by itself, you know, um, in, in patients uh, with or without diabetes. So, uh, you know, when you heard that, um, what kind of, what was your, what was your reaction? Did, you know, did, you know, did you, were you like, okay, that might, that makes sense? Was that, well, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm kind of nervous because, I mean, I think we have the most data, obviously, in diabetes patients. Maybe we shouldn't be, you know, doing a whole bunch of stuff in way smaller populations that don't have diabetes, um, you know, and anything else like that? I was completely expecting that um, announcement. Um, So they did, I talked specifically about Declare Timmy, but they also did the DAPA HF. And I want to say that was released in October Mm -hmm. of 2019, um, right around when, 
uh, I was going to ACCP and it was a big deal because all of the Amcare pharmacists are getting together and talking about this big study sure. at that big conference. Right. And um, it was it was dissected and it is, it's a great study and it's showing specifically in patients without diabetes, they continue to have that heart failure benefit. Right. And that's on top of ACEs and beta blockers and all the recommended uh, medications. Yeah. You know, you read the blurb from, from the FDA about it and, and, you know, uh, you know, they, they basically say that, that, you know, they found that the primary outcome was, was, you know, this, you know, like all these studies, this, you know, combined kind of MACE outcome where you had, you know, heart failure, death and worsening of heart failure. And, and the number needed to treat to prevent that was only one in 21 patients. So, I mean, even from a cost perspective, you could absolutely argue that SGL2 drugs, you know, are, are, are pretty cost effective, just even using kind of back of the envelope calculations, knowing how expensive a heart failure exa- uh, uh, hospitalization is. So, yeah. So yeah. then, I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sure you, I'm, I'm, I, I, we, I suppose we may have to start doing at some point having me and everybody else I have on the, on the thing, you know, doing disclosures. Well, I have to say that I don't speak for XYZ drug companies, but nope, do you I think, don't. And, and I know you don't. So, 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 but I, I guess the question is, do you think this is a class effect? Because I have no doubt the makers of Depagoflows, and at least for a while, are going to say we are uh, the only, the you only. know, and, and, yeah. and, and they are. I mean, there's that. That's not a lie. I mean, they only are. So, but the the sixty four dollar question is, and um, you know, knowing what you know about these medications, do you believe this is a mm-hmm. class effect? And you know, are we going to be looking at at a point where you know, SGL two drugs are you know right there with with uh, you know loop diuretics, ACEs or ARBs, and beta blockers is kind of routine use meds for heart failure. I, based on what I saw in the cardiovascular outcomes trials that didn't specifically show or didn't specifically call out heart failure, but you're still seeing good outcomes and reduction of heart failure exacerbations in those across all three, I think it is going to be a class effect. Also because you can point to a specific mechanism of action and there's no major difference in that mechanism between these three drugs. I also think that points to it. I think, and I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, again, right now we can't say that, and I, I think it's going to be, you know, we're, we're going to have to have at least one other other uh, drug, you know, yeah. get a similar outcome. Um, and I would be floored if all of the other companies with these drugs aren't rushing to hurry up and get these studies yeah. done and, and published as quickly as possible. So, uh, excellent. So yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that. So, so then, you know, let's let's get let's get more into the in, into the the practicalities of these drugs and you know again we've had them on the mm-hmm. on this on the on the uh, market now for a few years but you in your role as, as a as a diabetes specialist i'm sure dispense and and counsel and deal with how do we place these drugs and, and knowing you know the the company knowing the the clinic you work at you probably do your fair share of calling insurance companies to make sure they pay yep. for it all that kind of fun stuff so, so yeah. So just, you know, if, if you can just, you know, kind of, you know, give me your experience. And again, I not necessarily heart failure, but just in, in diabetes, what mm-hmm. has been your general experience with these medications? How tolerable are there? Do people, you know, have any big problems mm-hmm. with them? Um, you know, of course, everybody is terrified of urinary tract infections and vaginal yeast infections mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, have you seen a big uptick in that? So, I mean, what, you know, you know what, what have been some of the practical pearls and issues you've dealt with in the diabetes population with these drugs? Yeah. Um... 
So you named off the biggest side effect, which is going to be risk of UTIs and yeast infections with these. So one thing that I've seen is the higher the A1C when you start that drug, or if you go on it and they let their A1C get a little bit more uncontrolled, meaning more glucose going out the urine and more sugar buildup. And those are the patients that are going to be at higher risk for those genital urinary infections. Hmm. Okay. Um, so less controlled. You also have to talk about hygiene as well. If you've got patients that are generally unhygienic, they're also at increased risk. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a gut feel when you're walking in. Um, we usually won't. <laughs> you mean you don't uh, just walk in and ask them and go, so how hygienic are you? So how? Yeah. So you, you, you use all of your senses and you try to figure out which is going to be the best patient. You know, if the, there's, there's, you know, I'll put my research cap on, you know, the, you, you could come up with the, the Pitlick hygienic scale and give somebody like a survey yep. and say, <laughs> I mean, pretty funny. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you, you do that and you f kind of figure out that. I would say, like I said, the higher the A1C, so usually higher than nine, we're not putting them on uh, something until we get th their uh, A1C down a little bit further just to decrease their risk. So, it might not be our go to right away, but okay. after we get them on insulin for a couple of weeks, their blood sugars come down, we can put them on safely and Excellent. decrease that. Okay. Um, the other thing that I've seen is uh, drug interactions and hypotension. Um, you mentioned loop diuretics and um, thiazides. So if you put this medicine on somebody who's on a strong loop diuretic and they're already kind of borderline hypotensive, you're going to throw them into hypotension and you're going to potentially dehydrate them. Right. Yeah. So. Um, have, have you had any patients hospitalized for that or, you know, do they call you and say, wow, man, I, I, I just I feel really dry and all that other stuff. I mean, I I can't I we've had patients certainly in my hospital who come in with hypovolemic, you know, issues or shock even who might be on these medications. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure how quickly we are to, to blame them for that. You know what I mean? So yeah. have, have you seen that, do you think? I have um, not. She was uh, in the ER. And okay. so I did her transitions of care because she needed a quick follow-up after her ER visit. And I did the medication assessment and everything. And I was like, ooh, got this it. got added last week. And ah. you were hypertensive a couple of days later. Um, cool. And so just cut back on her um, diuretic and was able to send her on her way. Excellent. Um, I've seen, and when these drugs first came out, uh, the the one of the warnings in the package uh, literature for them was was all the euglycemic DKA. Mm -hmm. And I got to be honest with you, Jamie, when that first when they first came out, I was like, "What? That doesn't even make any yep. sense." Uh, but yeah. I've I've been forced to eat my words because we've seen at least five or six cases of this now at Methodist mm -hmm. and and so you know have you seen or are there any you know anything you're looking for that would put patients particularly at risk for this euglycemic DKA that you've noticed that we can watch out for? Yeah, um, any they will happen. So I've you can use it's off label to use, but. Mm -hmm. Some of the endocrinologists will use it in patients with type 1 diabetes because mm. they have SGLT2s in sure. their um, convoluted tubules too, and yep. it actually will 
kick out glucose. Um, it's very rare that we will do that, um, but there is a small benefit in those patients. But they are at much higher risk sure. of going into this euglycemic DKA. Um, things that we tell them um, are sick day management. If you're sick and you're not drinking fluids, you don't take this medication. Got it. If you're having a surgery, you stop taking this medicine a um, couple days before, a couple days after. Anything that's going to be a major stressor on that body that could kick them over into ketoacidosis, um, we, we counsel them on that. For Excellent. type 2 patients, it's, a, it's sick day management as well. Sure. So if you're not drinking, you don't take it. Okay. Um, yeah. Excellent. No, that, those are great pearls because, like I said, I, I'll, I'll admit I, was, I, I, just, I, I couldn't wrap my head how, how you could go no. into DKA, you know what I'm saying? And, and I, I just couldn't in wrap my head around it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, but you know, the proof, the proof of the pudding is in the eating because we've definitely seen it at Methodist. My last question for you then is along those lines. We basically told patients that once they've had an episode of this, they probably shouldn't be on the drug again. Have you rechallenged patients after they've had an episode of euglycemic DKA? I'm trying to remember. I don't have a specific example in mind that we would have. I mean, the cases do happen. They are rare. Right. Um, but most of the time, they stay off. I haven't had a patient or a doctor insist on putting them back on. Yeah. And that I think we we just we've kind of gone on the assumption that you know hey you've already kind of failed this once and this can be pretty serious sort of thing so yeah, yeah. so well excellent well like I said I, pr I appreciate you know all your all your great expertise and your knowledge and again willing to put up with my questions and stuff like that so um, um, you know. And, and, you know, any final thoughts about this? I mean, I, my vibe is that we're just going to, you know, the SGLT2 drugs, you know, are going to become kind of the statins of the of the early 21st century that, you know, that I think that we're going to find more and more uses for them, you know. Yeah, you. and that's, that's exactly what my final thoughts are, not comparing them to statins, uh, but right. just that these are very versatile drugs. Um, we didn't talk about the um, canical flows and new indication in uh, diabetic nephropathy. Yeah, um, yeah But yeah. we're finding these other indications that they are helping out with. Yeah. Um, so these are going to be highly utilized drugs in the near right. future. We just got to keep the cost coming down. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm. I'm can I'm, utilize them. Yeah, no, I, I said I'm sure that is a significant part of your day between that and GLP-1 drugs and trying to get these things affordable. Yep. So, excellent. So, some final thoughts. Um, but first, before we do that, again, a quick reminder, uh, you know, if you like this um, a podcast, um, you know, again, feel free to, to, to log on to CE Impact, you know, take a look at all the great offerings they have. Um, and, and, you know, CE that, you know, is, is really kind of spans, you know, all the things that a pharmacist in all areas need. Um, and, and certainly, you know, think about, think about signing up for that. I think you'll, you'll, you will be better for it. Um, and I think you'll find that, that it's, it's one of the easiest and hopefully most interesting ways to pick up CE. So, Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, are you tired of searching for meaningful CE? CE Impact brings learning to you through a continuing education subscription service. That's right, no more searching. It comes directly to your inbox, and it's really good. 
Subscribe today at ceimpact.com to receive a Hot Topic CE course on the first of every month. You'll also receive bonus content and tools to implement your learning. Plus, participate in a live journal club, Continuing Education, on the second Wednesday of every month to keep up on evidence-based information. If you want to keep searching for good CE, you might or might not find it, and you'll waste a lot of time searching. Or you can sign up today to get CE Impact's subscription service and have all the CE you need when you need it. It's that easy. Once again, go to ceimpact.com and sign up for the subscription service. Don't waste another minute. ceimpact.com. Let the learning come to you. So again, I want to thank my uh, my guest, Dr. Jamie Picklick, uh, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake. Uh, she did a great job and, and and definitely educated me, and I hope you as well about you know the SGL2 drugs and heart failure and some 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 uh, uh, practical things that that you need to watch out for in your patients. Is again, I think these are going to be you know maybe not statin level use where everybody and their dog is on them, but I think we're going to see more and more people on them. There's just no doubt about it, and I think they have the potential to be excellent drugs. We just got to watch out for for the side effects, and as, as Dr. Pickley pointed out, trying to, to make sure they're affordable for everyone. So hope you like this uh, episode. Um, please, uh, uh, you know, like us and, and, and sign up for us at all the places you sign up for all your podcasts. And hopefully we'll see you next week. And, and remember, um, as, as again, one of my favorite singers likes to say, uh, time is flying. Um, we don't know where it's going, but today is the most important day of all. This is Jeff Wall. I want to say thank you very much.